Thanks for listening to Most Certainly True, a podcast of Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Milwaukee. It has been said that history is really His story, the story of God showing His grace and mercy to the people He has created. That grace and mercy is on clear display in the Gospels as we see our Jesus living and dying for the sins of the world. But His story continues. The story of the early Christian church is his story as well. We are glad that you have chosen to read that story with us, as together we read chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. We'll review the stories of God's grace and mercy on his infant church, and celebrate that same grace and mercy that we know and experience today. We are glad to have you studying and growing with us. Here's the next episode of our podcast and the discussion of the next chapter of the book of Acts. Greetings, podcast listeners. So glad to have you back for another episode of Most Certainly True Podcast. Pastor Brian Hockman. I'm here with Pastor Hebner. We are pastors Greetings. at Grace downtown Milwaukee. <laughs> we are. Hi, Pastor Hockman. Good to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for How's your day going? Again. <laughs> My day is going well. Yeah, yeah. And a beautiful day it is. And yeah. nice summer day again we've got under the goodness of God. So we are pre-recording this just right. a little bit. But if you are listening to this on the day that this podcast posts through the internet, it is day one of Grace Bible Study Days. Oh, yeah, that's right. We'll see you later tonight then. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> if that's not on your radar, put it on your radar and join us. Yeah. Um, always a fun a fun tradition that uh, you started when you yeah. started ministry here, right? Well, uh, year, it had a been a year, year and um, what happened was in our Wells Church body, there was a magazine published and pastors would get it too, but it was intended really for school leaders, teachers, and principals of Lutheran schools. I forgot the title of it, Christian Educator or something like that. Or It was a little pamphlet-like, magazine-like thing, probably figure eight and a half by 11, folded and half stapled, and so this is just figure a booklet. And there would be always interesting articles aimed at Lutheran educators, and it would be helpful for pastors. And in that first year of ministry here at Grace from 82 to 83, I got a, did this published quarterly? I don't, can't even remember. But there was an article by a pastor from Eagle River, Wisconsin, Gene Allsweed. Later in Gene. my, yeah, later in my days, it became a friend of mine, you know. And Gene to came know. to do vacancy work in Alaska mm-hmm. as uh, mm-hmm. sort of a pastoral transitions right. up there. Yeah, yeah. What wonderful servant of God, <laughs> wonderful heart of an evangelical pastor, but he served at Christ Lutheran Church in Eagle River, Wisconsin, up north in Wisconsin yeah. for many years, and one of the things that he had done is he took the concept of a vacation Bible school where in a community all around America, the church is not even Lutheran, would do this where you'd have Bible stories and crafts and games and for a week, and kids would be in for half a day or a day, whatever it was, from Monday to Friday, and then that was you know, a way in which you could perhaps reach your community by way of outreach and get kids to know about Jesus and then maybe get the parents interested and then invite them to church. And that was just a a, a tool for uh, 
a bridge to get to know people in the community and through their kids. He took that concept of a daytime vacation Bible school and put it at night. And his idea was that you not only invite the kids from the neighborhood and your own church kids, but you invite the parents. And so the parents, while the kids were doing their Bible stories and crafts and having fun in the evening, let's say a two-hour session, could have, his model was two different Bible studies, and he would get a guest teacher up in Eagle River to stay in some cabin or house on a lake, whatever, but then spend their week, Monday to Friday night, in joining Pastor, the local pastor, Pastor Alswede, in in teaching adults while the kids are having their fun. It was like VBS at night for the whole family. I thought that was such a cool concept. I just loved that idea. And since we didn't have a neighborhood in Milwaukee downtown where there were lots of kids running around, that to have that concept at night. And so from that, we did some planning and thinking. And by the summer of 1983, we implemented it. It was in June at first, five nights, um, Monday through Friday. And then we would go like 6.30 to 8.30, and there wasn't a meal. It was 6.30, and we'd teach for about 50 minutes, and there'd be a popsicle break. Then we'd teach for another 50 minutes, and then we'd sing, and we'd be done by 8.30. And so every year I would teach like an Old Testament or a New Testament book, or I got guest teachers in to join me. And we used the basement of the church with two rooms, the now called Trinity Room and Heritage Room. And so one of us would teach adults in one of the rooms and the other, and then we'd have this popsicle break, and kids would come from the Sunday school rooms and join us. There weren't that many little kids, you know. And then we would break out, and then we'd have a sing-along, and we'd all jam into the Trinity Room, chairs, not tables, there weren't in those days. And we'd have a big sing-along. And our, our music minister back then, part-time, was a gentleman known as Alfred Bladel, and he served our congregation actually for 37 years as a, involved in music ministry. But he would then introduce, I guess you'd call them more camp story songs and okay. easy to fund sing songs. And, and um, he, so he kind of led the music sing-along part. But that was, uh, it got late, and families would come with their kids. It would stay late, you know, until 8.30. But then what happened was, as time went by, it became pretty obvious. Now, that was 1983. By 1991, I started Monday Night Worship here at Grace in August of 91. So by the next summer, you know, we just, I'm, I'm preaching upstairs for our Monday service, and I couldn't do Bible study days at the same time. You know, we had to either right. get a guest preacher, or I'd have to get a guest, you know, I didn't know how to work this out. So we had a suggestion from one of our very and dear and very active and gifted, insightful, mature, mature, uh, spiritually mature uh, women, Edie. And she said, let's go to three days. Because Friday night, it would be Friday night fish frying. People would take off and go up north of their cabin or they would be busy with fish frying. So the attendance on our Monday through Friday it was kind of going away anyway. And with Monday night, she said, why don't we reduce it to three days? And then we decided to move it to August because we had a highlight in the summer of, by that time, the church picnic. And we had a highlight in July so that was June, and July would be the church camp out, and then August a highlight would. So we had like three bursts of energy of fun things to do: picnic, camp out, and Bible study days. So that's how Grace Bible study days went from Bible study week to Bible study days, <laughs> and from a whole five nights to 
three. And uh, then we changed it to with come for a meal and have only one hour, but options, electives, because now we had more people teaching, more pastors on staff, and uh, the sing-along, so we could work it from like 6 to 8.15, and people with kids can still get home, and it's not too late, but right. that's all that all happened. The but, meal allows you to get home from work and yeah. pack up the kids and come. Right. Don't have to mess with that. Don't have to and, mess with that. And it's fun to fun to be together. What we retained is adults and kids studying. What we retained is an opening devotion. What we retained is a popsicle break and the sing-along. We just don't have it for two hours. It's like one hour with a meal. And it's been lots and lots and lots of The break of is between Bible study and singing at the yeah. end, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of wrapped into one. So get your ice cream treat or popsicle, whatever. What a cool tradition that yeah. is and a neat opportunity to be together in God's Word. You can kind of choose your path a little bit by mm-hmm. by selecting which class you want to be a part of. And, and now with the Grace Center, you know, we have more spaces to use, whether it's church basement or the Gray Hall or downstairs in the in the Grace Church classroom or the atrium or the cl- uh, coffee shop and the kids, you know, so we can make use of our campus. And it's uh, after this COVID kind of business, it's nice to get people encouraged to come back and enjoy the three nights of fun in a week. And really great to be together. And There you go. If you're listening to this on August 2nd, 3rd, or 4th, come <laughs> to Grace Bible Study Days. If it's later yeah. than that, put it on the calendar for first week of August next year. Well, we put Let's it in it. August when we moved it from June to August, and it was right on top of State Fair. So we lost a lot of people <laughs> who really love going to yeah. State Fair almost every day. And then we thought we'd put it later in August. Well, then we bumped into a lot of the school years Schools now are, are starting, starting quite early. Yep. A lot earlier than they used to in September after Labor Day and match the public schools. Now the private schools are all starting in the third, fourth week of August. So now it's the Grace Bible Study Day is the first full week of August, and it seems to work pretty well. So there's our there's our advertisement. There you go. Right. I wonder how much advertising Paul had to do to get people to come to him. Right. Hey, I'm going to be in yeah. town next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He does send uh, some letters off ahead sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, sends them with uh, with a courier or one of his mm-hmm. companions. And... Well, this time you wonder because of the way communication worked. He had Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus on the left coast of Asia Minor, Turkey, today. And he's traveling through the interior of his third missionary journey. And we know that there was a dude named Apollos from Egypt, Alexandria, excuse me, from, yeah, from Egypt, who had been instructed. And he got sent on to Corinth. But Aquila and Priscilla probably still in Ephesus. But they may not have made it through the whole community because Paul gets there to Ephesus. And he's spending like three years, we find out later. This is chapter 19 now where our podcast is all about. And he's He's spending some time and with some people who haven't been fully instructed yet. So were they impacted by Apollos' teaching before he got converted, fully converted, fully instructed by Aquil Priscilla? Or were these people not touched by Aquil Priscilla yet? It's hard to tell. But they have this thing I know about, you know, John's baptism. And so we've seen this earlier in Scripture too, but it's not the full story. So John is pointing ahead to the coming Savior, and this is what Paul is running into. And Paul gets to tell him, yeah, but that Savior that John pointed to is here and came, and he's died and rose for you, and it's Jesus. So that's a neat way in which Paul gets to Ephesus. It's and spends, a, a, a bit peculiar. How can you know about John the Baptist yeah. without knowing? Because there's not, there's what, six months in between John the Baptist yeah. and Jesus? Yeah. So I suppose John, yeah. So how can you... It's an interesting thing to be so well-versed in John's baptism and so yeah. unawares of the fact that John was the forerunner and what, what was John's message. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it, it also would hint, John, you know, when John is carrying out this ministry, if there have people in Jerusalem, let's say Jewish people, 
and then they're drawn out to the wilderness to hear him, and then they leave. And then they go back to their sure. home territories, right? And so that's true. We don't necessarily have a date as when John's ministry starts. Yeah, but six months prior to the Lord Jesus, people could have certainly been visitors, right? And heard that and traveled. But at any rate, that's how the Ephesus ministry in chapter 19 begins. It's really an interesting thing, and people will enjoy reading about this as Apollos heads on to to Corinth. And so um, full instruction is going to be happening, and uh, we're told, then we get to verse 10, that you know Paul is going to be there now for uh, quite a while in this uh, rented facility and discussions daily, you know, for two years. And this is where this is where the apostle. Paul, in Ephesus, eventually hears about reports from Corinth that even though Apollos has gotten there, there's issues going on now. There's divisions. Some like Paulus better than they, and some like Peter, and some like you know. You got fact, and you got every other possible issue that a congregation wrestles with in Corinth. And Paul then, from Ephesus, writes to the Corinthians and uh, gives them great instruction and help. Right. That's all happening here. This is while chapter 19 is unfolding for us. Yeah. It's at the end of First Corinthians that um, Paul sends greetings from Aquila and Priscilla yeah. and references and those who um, gather at the it, church it, it, in their home. In their home, yeah. So so that you, you see... It, you see the connection. Here, the, these are the leaders that were left there. And, in Ephesus, yeah. And they're still leading yep. that church now when Paul returns. Mm-hmm. So this is this is quite the chapter and two and, and momentous in the sense that you get some great details about the extraordinary things that God is allowing to happen from Paul's ministry, from miracles to whatever it is, and then you have that unique little chunk, you know, where there are people who are driving out spirits, and it reminds me of those the other incident you had way back in like chapter eight where people are seeing miracles and wondering how that's going on, you know. So you have the seven sons of Sceva, you know, this Jewish priest who were performing some miracles, and it has to do with an evil spirit, which is really, wow. Uh, and Paul's going to clean that all up. The spirit is calling out, um, and it's you don't need that kind of advertising, right? Right. Evil spirits. So um, that's just a fascinating, it kind of harkens back to Jesus healing people who were demon-possessed, who were physically affected and hurt and wounded, and that's all mentioned here in this account. And so this became known and uh, about what he's, what's going on there. <laughs> I find uh, verse 21 really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, after this is done, Paul decides he's going to go back to Jerusalem, um, but he takes a really long route to get there. Uh, so there's <laughs> yeah. this reference. I don't know. Is it? I kind of assume that here he's plotting out. Yeah. Like I want to be, and, and we learn later he wants to be back in Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival. So that leaves him with what nine months, a year and nine months, whatever yeah. Whatever he's got a date in mind. So I got to quick get the rest of my stops in. I'm going to go yeah. visit some of these churches. He's probably got a... But he's got this idea of when it is that he'd like to be back in Jerusalem. Right. And that plays out later. Next chapter, he, mm-hmm. on his way back, wants to stop and, and talk to the leaders mm-hmm. in Ephesus, but mm-hmm. decides not to go into the town because he knows right. 
he's got such a, a relationship with them that he yeah. knows it's going to be hard to stop for a day. So yeah. he calls the leaders to the port town, and we'll talk about that, that next, the next chapter. chapter but, but he's he hasn't left Ephesus yet, but he does have this in mind. And then you know he sends that letter across the water to Corinth, and he's wondering how it's turning out. So he's still in Ephesus, though, for some time before he then follows his letter, but he's not going across the water. He's going to go by land. But we know he's still in Ephesus for a while because we have this whole riot that's going to unfold in chapter 19. And that is a big part of this chapter where people are losing dough, right? The silversmiths, you know, because uh, that that is getting countered by the message of the gospel. Right. What is Ephesus known for? Being, yeah. being the home of the temple of <laughs> Artemis, right? So yeah. if we're doing away with the false gods and um, this is going to have an economic impact on the city. The whole city's in an uproar and people are seizing Paul's companions and verse 29 and following and Paul wanted to stand up and defend them, but you know he's being prevented from doing so because his life might have been in danger and it's all very dramatic in what's going on here. And uh, the assembly is, you know, ready to do damage. And so the Jewish people are going to try to say, hey, what's going on here, you people who are making money off of your, off of your uh, goddess Diana, that's the Latin term for the Greek god Artemis, and we're we're not the ones making the problems here either, you know. <laughs> so they they want to make it clear that if if there's a disruption in the income from the trade of the idols and everything with Artemis, the Jewish people want to make clear that they're not the ones who caused the problem. <laughs> And for the people who are making money. And so the shouts still go up, though. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And you got to have the city clerk step in and try to calm things down. It's really interesting how that all works. He must have had some sway in that. You yeah, need to gets, take the court. the crowd to keep quiet, even though they've been yeah. chanting over the top of people who are trying to speak and... <laughs> um, this trying to they're filibustering a little bit. Just a, it's an amazing account about God's word working, and uh, <laughs> so the guy Demetrius, you know, he wants to make his buddy, and then he's blaming Paul for the interruption in that, and the Jewish people are worried that they're going to get the heat for it too. <laughs> so, but um, that the details would be there that God caused Luke to put this in here tells us something about the power of the message and the word of God and touching lives and changing lives and hearts, which, you know, for all of us, that really is the bottom line, right? How can we live in a world that's challenging and the biggest challenge is inside of us with our own sinful nature? But the powerful message of the Savior's love changes us and changes people. And that's all detailed and recorded here in this fascinating account in chapter 19. So, it's really not one of those things where we're going to spend maybe several hours, minutes, just. But but it's it's a great part of the story as the gospel is moving forward. Yeah, for sure. 
What did you think about the quick closing of a chapter like this? It just is almost abrupt, right? Right. Here's the riot. <laughs> it's not and a sermon by Paul or anybody of his companions, but it's this city clerk standing up and, and saying, hey, you got to, there's a legal recourse here and to calm things down. So it, it raises up in our minds too, doesn't it, about what we can do as citizens in any country or kingdom in not being very careful we don't cross the line into thinking that you know we have to we have to impart biblical principles onto civil government that the general morals that is in part of our natural knowledge of god would be reflected in our whatever government we're under in their handling of keeping the peace we would think is wise and makes common sense but to argue for uh, like try to get people to be God's children and believers by using the government to do that is outside of the bounds of what God would want us in Scripture to do. There are tools that we use as Christians to impact people and then the world and society, and that would be the gospel, the good news in word and sacraments. And there's tools that the governing officials use, right? The sword, Romans chapter 13, to keep peace. But to use government pressure, source, lawmaking, whatever, to get people to be more Christian is an inappropriate use of God's gift of governing authorities. I've had people—I've run into people like that. You know, if only we get the Ten Commandments in all the public schools, and then we're going to have a better world. Well, that's not the job of the public schools to teach God's words and truths, nor is it our job as Christians to use government. No, we do that individually and personally, and that's our role. And chapter 19 makes us think about those kinds of things, which is good for us to... God has his purpose for governing authority, even if we don't necessarily like them, but to honor and respect and obey and let them operate with common sense. Can we as Christians have some influence by appealing to common sense and natural knowledge of law? Sure. But to uh, demand that biblical truths or teachings become a part of our government is... is, uh, maybe a part of American society from early on, but not not a biblical approach. <laughs> right. You can certainly see God's hand in this as well, that, yeah. that uh, he uses this event in this city. He protects his people and protects his church. This this doesn't wipe out the Ephesian church. Right. They're, they're still there. Still there. Um, God uses it perhaps, if you read into the next verses of chapter 20, now it's time to go. Yeah. Paul, Paul's going to gonna uh continue on both because of his desire to get back to jerusalem yeah. and um just to be in a different place but wouldn't that be part of the whole thing though in this chapter chapter 19 the guiding hand of god right yeah. for the sake of the gospel which we know this is most, most certainly, certainly true thanks for listening we'd love to share more about god's love with you Check us out at www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, our pastor's contact info, and a lot of information about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.